Welcome to the Sports Eyes Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bassett. And I'm Dr. Katherine Logan. On each episode, we chat about the most recent developments in sports medicine and dissect through all the noise so you know which literature should actually impact your practice. Today, we're continuing our special series of episodes to recap the newest research presented at the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons annual meeting, our largest orthopedic conference. This year, over 20,000 orthopedic professionals gathered at the AOS annual meeting in San Francisco to take part. On this episode, we are recapping some of the standout posters presented at AOS with Dr. Megan Bishop. If you haven't listened to our last mini episode, what are you waiting for? Go check it out and hear all about the AOS meeting. But today, we're just going to dive right in. If you're looking for a trusted name in osteochondral allograft transplantation, look no further than JRF Ortho. With a stellar track record and a reputation as the leader in fresh osteochondral allografts, JRF Ortho is here to elevate your practice to new heights. JRF Ortho has proudly distributed over 25,000 allografts worldwide, making a significant impact in the field. Their passion for this industry goes beyond the numbers. It's about helping patients and fulfilling their mission of improving people's quality of life. But that's not all. At JRF Ortho, they understand that superior customer care is crucial. They aim to give you one less thing to think about so you can focus on what matters the most, your patients. And they make ordering JRF Ortho easy. They are committed to accommodating your needs and delivering allografts on your terms. You're in control. Choose your scheduling option, whether it's specifying a surgical date, providing a date range, or just requesting the earliest available allograft. Your preferences are their top priority. So, prepare for success. Order with JRF Ortho and take control of your orthopedic journey. Welcome back to the show, Megan. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Captain, for having me. Yeah, welcome back. So our next poster is titled, Arthroscopic Rotator Cuff Repair with Bioinductive Patch Achieves Equivalent Patient-Reported Outcomes at One Year. This was performed at Wayne State University and Henry Ford Medical Center. And the purpose of this study was to compare patient-reported outcomes, range of motion, and complications of patients undergoing arthroscopic rotator cuff repair augmented with a bovine bioinductive patch compared to a standard repair with no patch augmentation. So before we dive into the results of the study, Megan, I'm curious, and Catherine as well, to hear both of your indications for using this bovine bioinductive patch, which is also called the Regenitin patch. So are you both adding it only to full thickness tears? Um, Are you using it for partial tears? What is your approach to the use of this um, patch? So I'm actually really not using this patch. Um, I haven't found that it added anything to my rotator cuff repairs and hasn't really added anything to my practice. Um, I find if I do a good rotator cuff repair, patients have good, you know, have had very good outcomes. If I find that I'm not able to, you know, I've been using superior capsule reconstructions for you know, my patients, I'm really not able to re- repair the rotator cuff. Um, so, you know, I, it hasn't played a large role in my practice. Um, and this study, which we'll get into, definitely doesn't make me want to continue to do it based on the results of the study, which we'll get into. But uh, yeah, I don't know what you've been doing, Catherine, but... No, it's not, you know, it's not really part of my practice. Um, and I would say... I also feel like my rotator cuff population is very like traumatic acute. You know, it's like um, they're generally, you know, on the younger side and did something skiing. So it's like, you know, it's that example that we have in boards or like or in the oity where it's like what happens to like the 45 year old who dislocates their shoulder and it's Mm -hmm. not a labral, you know, it's the rotator cuff tear. Like that's sort of the people that end up in my clinic. 
Um, so I'm not getting, um, I would say some of the typical sort of, it just doesn't come to my clinic, that older population. Um, so not a big part of my practice. I feel like Ashley, you are using it in your practice. So you'll like, have to educate oh, I get to take, I get yeah. to take the different stance <laughs> okay. to you guys. This is exciting. Yeah. Um, so Megan, first, I completely agree. Full thickness cuff tears. This doesn't have a role in, in my use. Um, if I'm doing a full thickness cuff repair, I'm just, I'd be more apt to like use an expanded speed bridge or an expanded suture construct to make sure I have really good fixation. I'm not going to just throw a patch on top and kind of hope for the best. And I agree in irreparable tears. Um, I'm either doing an SCR or I'm starting to use that subacromial balloon spacer, especially in people who are older, um, who mainly have a complaint of pain with preserved motion and, and good strength maintained through compensatory you know, muscle activation. What I'm using this patch for is um, partial thickness tears. So I, you know, I didn't believe it until I saw, you know, some of the literature come out that shows that using um, a patch on the bursal side of the rotator cuff in the setting of a moderate grade partial tear, meaning not one that I really want to do a formal takedown, maybe not one I want to do a pasta on, can kind of offload that tension and allow the articular side to heal. I've seen some biologic data that has suggested that to be true. So I'll use it in that subset of people. So if it's hanging on by a thread or it's greater than 50%, I'm going to either do a pasta on the articular side or I'm going to do a, a complete um, rotator cuff repair on the bursal side. But if it's one of those like 25 to 50 where I don't really feel comfortable leaving it alone, especially in a very active person, so not an, a really older person, but I don't really want to take it down or do a formal repair, I'll do the patch and they're they're doing pretty well with this. So that's a narrow population that I'm, I'm taking care of. But in those patients, that's what I'm using this for. Okay, so we'll have to ask you, actually, since we both don't do this really yeah. with any regularity. So the study found that the bioinductive patch augmentation for arthroscopic rotator cuff repair had equivalent range of motion, patient reported outcomes, and pain and function, as well as retear rates. Um, so they're compared, comparing to standard repair, no augment. Um, so in seeing this, does this change at all the way you practice or, um, I mean, obviously you have a very narrow indication, but you know, what are your thoughts? So my thoughts on this was that I really would love to see a little bit more information from this study because I want to know yeah. who they added a patch to, because I think they compared it retrospectively to a standard repair. And so for me, I think a lot of people are adding this patch, you know, for usually high risk for repair or failure. Um, they said that smokers, it was equivalent between the groups. What about like poor quality tissue? Um, what about degenerative tissue? What about revisions? I think they excluded that here. What about large to massive tears? So I think I want to see a little bit more data there. And I want to see some future studies that look at the benefit of potentially adding this in those high risk populations. But again, I'm not really using it there. Um, for me, I there are studies that do a head-to-head -head comparison of doing a debridement alone versus the patch and mm -hmm. debridement and the patch versus a takedown and repair. And they show um, you know, equivalent outcomes to doing a takedown and repair versus doing the patch, which to me is really beneficial for those patients. Decreased OR time, decreased implants, yeah. and all of that. I do have a concern about stiffness, which this study kind of yeah. alludes to a little bit. Um, but overall, I think I just want to see a little bit more data either from this poster or like future studies looking at that high risk population. But what are your thoughts on that? I think a little bit, like one of the things I think about this too is cost. Um, I have mm -hmm. to imagine like the patch is pretty expensive um, to use. So when I think about that, like if there's equivalent outcomes when you're using the patch versus when you're not using the patch and you're still doing a rotator cuff repair and putting the patch on top, 
you know, yeah. I, I don't know if that's cost effective. And additionally, you know, time in the OR, um, how long does it, it probably doesn't take you too much longer to put a patch on. Those are usually pretty, they're pretty easy to use. Um, but I, you know, it is also taking the case longer time, more time in the OR and things like that. So this doesn't, to me, I, they didn't look at cost or cost effectiveness in this, but, you know, it implies to me that, you know, equivalent outcomes, it, it, a surgery that takes longer and using an expensive patch isn't necessarily worth it. Yeah, so the patch usually is, at least for in my experience, because I looked into this because I operate at a surgery center that I'm a part owner in, so that's really important to know it's going to be, um, you know, uh, reimbursed. And so it's reimbursed as an implant. So you bill it as a bioinductive implant. So it's not like a graft or, you know, like the um, Arthroflex, which is a dermal tissue or something like that. But you're correct. I mean, instead of doing maybe a speed bridge plus this patch, you're now doing, you know, or you're, instead of doing just speed bridge, you're doing a speed bridge plus the patch that adds cost. Absolutely. I think the interesting cost analysis I would love to see, and I don't know that it's been done, is patch versus a formal repair. Like how do those costs differ, yeah, you know? For because sure. I don't know off the top of my head how much the patch is, you know, reimbursed for by insurance. Is it more than like a standard speed bridge or whatever rotator cuff yeah. contract you use? Is it less? Is it equivalent? I think it saves OR time, but definitely as you alluded to, it's it's pretty simple to apply. So for those partial thickness tears rather than doing takedown and repair, which I don't think is ideal for those patients, I do think it saves time in the OR, which definitely saves money. So I think it depends on what you're using it for. Ashley, yeah. how are you, um, how are you rehabbing your patch patients? Like the ones that you do, you don't do the tape, like what's the difference in rehab for that uh, versus like if you took down and did a rotator cuff repair versus obviously just yeah. a debridement? Yeah. So that's a great question. So I think when I first started and when they first came out with the patch, they were really yeah. protecting it as if it was a rotator cuff repair, which yes, that's what it's billed as, but it's not a takedown and a repair. Um, and so I was doing a sling for four weeks, um, starting PT immediately for passive range of motion with no restrictions, but the sling, I now do the sling for two weeks and I get them out um, a lot sooner. Um, I get them into PT ASAP because I have seen some um, cases of fibrosis with this, um, some stiffness, but I feel like when I get them moving um, sooner rather than later and I minimize their sling immobilization, um, that has decreased for me. But I do talk to all my patients about that risk of the fibrosis and the risk of the loss of motion. I really hammer home the need for PT and that has really um, combated this. Yeah, Megan, that was actually my exact question was sort yeah. of when they allude to a little bit of a development of fibrosis, I was sort of like, what, you know, what are the details of like that rehab protocol? Like, how do you mitigate that risk? So I think Ashley, you already answered it. But I think that's super important, because sometimes it's like, well, if you're doing the whole standard, you know, sort of old school, massive rotator cuff repair protocol, then of course, they're going to get stiff. So yeah. No, I think interesting, like we did, Ashley and I, um, last year at AOSSM, the last two years we've done, um, like the new technology sort of like judging like the innovation sort of awards. Um, and we looked at this patch last year and I, I thought they did, it was really interesting. It just, I think for, you know, the way you use it, your indications, I think it's a, you know, a nice ad. Um, but yeah, I think, um. I wish like something else would show in the study, like faster return of range of motion. And we're only yeah. looking at a poster. So maybe there's some trends that if they publish the full-blown paper, we'll start to see a little bit more of their data, but, you know, kind of yeah. limited just from a poster. 
Yeah, I think this kind of highlights, as Megan was saying, like, do we really need to be adding it to a standard rotator cuff repair? And I think, unfortunately for the company, the answer is no. But I would say I think if it can save time in the OR and it can decrease pain because you're not putting anchors into bone and it can maybe potentially save cost, um, I think if, as long as it's or, or early range of motion, as you said, and a quicker recovery, um, I think that's really beneficial. I had this uh, one gentleman, I did the Ridge Edison, I did a cuff repair on his one side, Ridge Edison patch on the other side. And he was like, this is night and day. Like he was like, he had a small cuff tear on one side. We had to do full thickness. And then the other one, we did the patch and he like had just full, like improved motion, improved strength so much earlier, obviously, because it wasn't a takedown or repair. But I think those are the patients that really can benefit the most from this. Yeah. And I think that's like what, like kind of what you said, Ashley, like this, it would be nice to know a little bit more of the breakdown. They do talk about they divide it by tear size, but it doesn't sound like they, they found any differences. And, and, and the, the table, they give a nice division and they kind of seemed like they had all ranges of tear sizes that they analyzed. Um, and, you know, again, they didn't find any difference between any, any of them in their study, um, which certainly could be, they just could be underpowered. Um, but they did have a good amount. They had 81 patients that had a patch and 162 uh, controls, which, it, which is a large amount of patients to include in the study. So, um, you know, it's a great study. Um, but you know, I can't say I'm surprised that they, they didn't find a difference. I find with a lot of these studies with augments and things like that, it, it's been hard to show, show a difference. Great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the sports docs. We hope you enjoyed our discussion as much as we did. Make sure to subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Amazon music, and YouTube to stay up to date on all things sports medicine. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review. We also love to see your comments and hear about your questions. You can reach us by email at sportsdocspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at the sports docs pod and Twitter at the sports doc pod. We love your feedback.